It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. We're driven by Wolf GMC Buick on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. The Discover Winter event is on right now. They're blowing out remaining 2023 GMCs. Discounts up to $8,000 plus 0% financing. Visit WolfGMCBuick.com. We're into hour number two now of what is becoming a pretty compelling show. <laughs> uh, our friend Donovan has uh, waxed poetic on several things in hour number one, and we're getting great reaction. This is from old guy from the Kootenays. Low tide, lower a ladder into that hole and let that kid out. <laughs> we're at the less is more stage. Most Swift Sands are normal people. Next subject, old guy in the Kootenays who loves your show. There you go. Well, I like it because, because as is the case with all young people, there's a, there's a confident approach to these issues in the world. And that, as somebody who's been, um, <laughs> who has, has faced the oncoming rush of, of a reaction, um, I find it refreshing. We're joined now by our friend Bag Milk from Oilers Nation. Sir, how are you? Doing well. Doing well, Todd. How are you doing? Good. Are you a person who loves uh, Taylor Swift? Oh, I'm a huge Swifty, Lowside. You know I am. I'm actually going to be watching the Super Bowl specifically for her and not for the football game. I don't care about the halftime show. I don't care about any of the commercials. All I want to see is that my prop bet for Taylor Swift appearances on TV hits the over. But I love it. I, I, I love that you're betting on it. That's that's the uh, healthy approach. That's the modern healthy approach, right? Um, of course. What's Frank doing on the time off? I mean, I, are you still feeding him and giving him treats? Yeah, here's the thing with Frank is he's got to make sure that he's studying constantly. The Oilers don't play until February 6th, but I've loaded him up with stats this week. I've got an encyclopedia of, uh, of essentially Oilers history and statistics and future schedules that he's got to work through. So if we're going to keep Frank's picks going, he is on a six-game heater right now, Ty. Yes. So if we're going to keep that going, we need to make sure that he's prepped when the Oilers play Vegas on the 6th. But from what you tell me, Frank doesn't get full of himself. He's not um, an egomaniac. No, very, very humble. He knows where he's at. He's confident in himself. He's confident in his picks. But ultimately, he doesn't let it get to his head, which is a very, very important part of a season better like my dog. Okay, I'm going to give you some hard questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So Vancouver makes a trade to get better, and I have read already many, many people who are frustrated with Holland, one of whom texted me or tweeted me to say, Holland hasn't done a thing, and he didn't do anything last year, forgetting about the Ekholm deal uh, and and bringing in a center as well. So I understand it's a good day for Canucks fans. I get that. But are we at a point where Holland just simply doesn't get credit for things like Ekholm, or, or do can we can we have a kind of a balanced view? Is what have you done for me lately, Al? You yeah. know, if we're forgetting about the Ekholm trade from last year's trade deadline, well... Yeah, I don't know how you forget that one. So another interesting point is if you look at the uh, the Oilers cap number right now, according to Cap Friendly, they could have up to $4 million available space by the deadline. That could be an interesting uh, – that's enough space to pick up an interesting player if they so choose. Now, it depends what Holland wants to spend in terms of assets. But ultimately, the Oilers can play here. And I think that last year the Ekholm trade was important because – 
we may have heard that Ekholm was available, but I don't know how many of us necessarily thought that that trade was going to happen, given the length of the ad left on his contract, given the cap hit, et cetera, et cetera. But Ken Holland found a way to get it done. So I'm kind of patient right now, and I can understand why Oilers fans are upset about Lindholm going to Canucks because they're kind of loading up and have been all year. It's an arms race going on in Vancouver right now, and we want to see how the Oilers respond. But based on how things went last year, I'm curious what Uncle Ken has up his sleeve. I'm kind of taking a more patient approach this year than maybe I did last year. We've still got some time before the March 8th deadline. I'm going to be greasing Frank Saravalli on a daily basis to find out what the Oilers are going to do, who they're talking to, who they're looking at. And we're going to see what happens. But I think this year, more than most, I'm taking a patient approach for the Oilers at the deadline. Tell Frank, unless he tells you, you're going to start putting, you know, like coloring in his hair. And, and he won't know why, but he'll turn jet black hair by the time the deadline happens. That's right. We were both in Toronto together for the All-Star game this week, Al. And I'm going to find out where he's staying. I'm going to get a key to his hotel, and I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, looking at the first half of the season, I, I, was, I, I didn't want to write an article about it because I don't think it's compelling enough. But I wanted to make a list of A's, like guys who were either A+, plus. A or A minus. And the problem with it is there's just so many guys who are having, like, I'm not saying necessarily career years, but ha- playing well enough to get an A. Uh, I'm not saying it's boring, but it's, it's it, pretty much everybody. It is. There's a lot of guys who are really chipping away at this uh, at this season, right? I mean, if you got a 16-game win streak, which the Oilers do, they went up through a perfect month of January, you have to have people throughout the lineup chipping in at various levels and in various ways. And the Oilers have done that. And I think of a guy like Warren Fogle. We talk about contract here Fogle all the time. He had 16 points in the 16 games. That is a fantastic run of quote-unquote depth scoring. It doesn't always have to be Connor and Leon doing everything this year. And it's not always that they're power play merchants this year either. They're getting the job done at five on five and I think that's been a really interesting development as the year has progressed but if we're looking at A players the one that sticks out to me and it has to be circled in pen is Zach Hyman he's got 30 goals through 44 games right now he's on pace for 55 before he even came to Edmonton he had 41 points as a career high in Toronto so I don't think any of us ever would have expected him to improve year over year over year the way he has. So to me, if I'm picking one A-plus player, it's Zach Hyman because he's just fighting well above his weight class. A $5.5 million right now looks like a steal. I love the way he plays. I love the engine he's got. He's a dog on the bone whenever he's out on the ice. So if I'm picking one out, i got to give it to Zach Hyman. He, he is uh, – the, the Oilers um, – uh, one night I was watching the Oilers play, and I – I started making a list of like truly unique players and why. So McDavid, because his brain and his legs and his hands are in sync at the highest level we've ever seen. Leon Dreisaitl, because he's a power forward who can pass, but also has a hammer and he controls the game and he's a little bit mean-spirited. That's a unique player. But Hyman is unique. So is DeHarnay. But the, the Oilers have... They, they don't have very many vanilla players, and maybe that's a key to this team. Kane has an edge. You know, McLeod, I guess, is vanilla a little bit, but even he is starting to perform at a level using his speed uh, that makes him a little bit of a difference maker. The Oilers don't have, they have role players, but not many. Yeah, and it's interesting that people have settled into their roles quite effectively. I mean, of course, we're going to talk about Connor Brown having zero goals, but if we're going to look at bright sides, if we're going to look at silver linings, which I always choose to do in situations like this, 
he's contributing really well on the on the penalty kill. You know, I've called him Al. You'll appreciate this, I think. I've been calling him Fancy Leonard Petrol lately, where you know when he's out there on the PK, he's going to be effective. The other team's going to have all kinds of trouble getting it through his stick. So uh, we'd love to see some goals coming there, obviously. But I think they are going to come. The chances are going to the chances he's getting. He's going to convert at some point. And you mentioned McLeod. As the year's gone on, he's just gotten better and better. I find him to be a perimeter player a little bit too much at times, but he's kind of wading his way towards the middle, towards the greasy areas, towards the front of the net. And that's when he's most effective, especially, like you said, he's using his speed. And if he can use just his size, too, he's a big kid. If he can get to the middle of the ice, as he has been, he's going to get more goals. So I think that if you look throughout the lineup, there's a lot of players that are contributing in unique and different ways. And that's ultimately why they're winning the games they are, is they're finding ways to win different ways. It's not like all 16 games have been blowouts. You know, there's been a lot of one-goal games no. in there. There's been a, there's been some comebacks. There's been a lot of tight third periods, and the others are finding a way to get it done. And you got to give a lot of players credit for that. Do you think uh, Magno joining us from Oilers Nation? Do you think the Oilers will um, make m- more than one deal and uh, at the deadline? And do you think like a, a Jake Gensel or an Adam Henrique or a Sean Monahan or a, a Tyler Toffoli is more likely than a right side second pairing defenseman? I think so. I, I really do think so. Because I look at, again, I look at Frank Saravalli's trade targets board at dailyfaceoff.com and I kind of run through the list about who's a fit there. And you mentioned Monahan. Do the Oilers want to spend a first round pick on Monahan? Because that seems to be what it's going to get. Or they want to go a different angle. You mentioned Gensel. He'd be really good in the top six as a scorer, a complimentary scorer. I would love the idea of adding more offense there. I would love the idea, if I'm being very specific and very greedy, Al, which you know I like to do, I'd like to get a scoring winger for Leon Dreisaitl's right side and really solidify the top six. And I think that there's an opportunity to do it. There's some teams now falling out of the playoff race that maybe we didn't expect, and I think that's going to provide them some options, provided that you know Ken Holland wants to spend some assets. The nice part about it, too, is you go ahead and get a guy like Corey Perry. He comes in for free. You didn't have to spend any assets. It's not like we're trading Kessel Ring for a Bukestad like we did last year. You know, so I think that there's a different opportunity having players come in like a Perry for free where now maybe you have some assets that you didn't necessarily expect to have that you can spend at the deadline. Sports fourteen forty is the lowdown with low tide. We're in conversation with Bagged Milk. The the Oilers, as I see it, they they are going to go to a market. Let's just use Gensel as an example. I would be because I keep reading, you know, uh, Xavier Borgo is, is, you know, might be included in a package. I just don't think he moves the needle. I think Broberg does, and I think Holloway would, but I don't believe they'll trade him. So for me, if they're going to get a Gensel or a Toffoli or or any of these guys, it's the first round pick, and then probably Broberg. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, probably. But then at the same point, I also look at the trade that the Canucks made last night, and they didn't necessarily have to give up their best, best prospect to make that deal happen for Lindholm. So there's always hope that we're going to get something cheaper than maybe expected. The thing that I don't like about trading Broberg at this point is that the Oilers really have been lucky in terms of the health on the blue line this year. That makes me nervous because he's only one injury away from being an everyday NHLer right now. So I don't know that they have enough depth on the back end to move Broberg. Some of the forward pieces, though, I could see. I don't know how patient they want to be with a Borgo. I don't see Holloway going anywhere necessarily, but I guess we'll have to see how it goes. But I, I kind of, as the season goes along and I look at how healthy the roster has been, knock on wood, to this point, Trading Broberg, to me, seems like a bigger and bigger concern as we move along, especially he's playing some really nice hockey right now with the Condor. So I'm hesitant on making that move, but it may be the case if they want to go get a bigger fish. So I'm going to create a scenario here, and I want you to tell me which would drive Oiler fans to, to, the, to the outer marker 
more often and more completely, okay? Sure. Let's say the Oilers play Vegas in the first round, Vancouver in the second round, Winnipeg in the third round, and then Toronto in the final. How how mind blowing and then they win. How mind blowing would this spring and summer be for Edmonton Oilers fans? It would be an all timer, right? That march to victory that you just described, if it happened that way, would be an all time of all time celebrations in the city. I think we would have the cup parade, but instead of just the one day, it would probably go on for six months. We'd all be swimming in the fountains outside the legislature. <laughs> We'd all be parading down Jasper and White Ave for months on end. If the Oilers found a way to run through that gauntlet, as you described it, the city would be, a lot of us might burst into glitter just out of pure joy and jubilation. <laughs> so I feel like that's what's going to happen under those circumstances. And we've never seen public drunkenness in Edmonton, so that would be probably a new thing, right? I've never heard of it. Not in our city, anyway. <laughs> certainly certainly in Vancouver and other godless cities, maybe, but certainly not Edmonton, right? No, definitely not. We wouldn't no. do such a thing. Listen, if I remember back to the 2006 Cup run, we were all enjoying sodas and coffees and we're in bed by 9 o'clock. <laughs> do you remember the, 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 the people could not keep their shirts on, on, on uh, I think it was White Avenue uh, that year? I remember that it was wild in 2006. Were, were, do, were you a part of that or were you old enough to be a part of that? I was old enough to be a part of it, and I'm going to plead the fifth on this one in the sense that I'm not going to confirm or deny whether I did take my shirt off for Horkoff. So you, I'm going to put you in the check mark in the yes column, and we will talk about it later privately. How's that? Sounds great to me. All right, my friend. Be good. Thank you. Thanks, Al. All right. There goes Bag Milk from Oilers Nation. They're all off into Toronto, and they're, you know, their coverage uh, is wide and strong they do gr- i was reading the the uh, um the bruce update on the condors uh game last night some really good insight i watched the game and i agree with both of uh, the one thing i i will say is i think peterson with borgo has to happen the results weren't there they didn't score last night but it was a really good game for borgo he was far more noticeable and I think they have to go ahead and do that. I really do think they should continue that. LT, do you think Kane's contract was a bit of an overpay? I think that at the time it was good. Now, he's been hurt quite a bit. Uh, some of it just not even his fault. So I would suggest to you that that um, it looks it is an overpay based on results, but I I think the the bet was a reasonable one based on Kane's ability and you know he's on a, he's going to score 30 goals again and if you keep him away from Connor Brown his goal share isn't too good isn't too bad at all. There was a narrative that McLeod didn't go to the tough areas unfortunately for those pushing that narrative McLeod actually led the bottom 6 when they were struggling both great A's uh, essentially meaning shots from the slot and shots around the net. Always be careful of media narratives. I think that I don't know that I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think the evidence showed that McLeod wasn't going to those areas. And then he did. And part of the reason was he was hurt. And, and that was also mentioned. I I certainly mentioned, I was on board with, with McLeod, with keeping McLeod when people were saying, get rid of him. I think we, I think media, I think we, I think media as a whole, maybe I'm missing some references, but I think that was handled pretty well by media. How about Kessel? He is free of acquisition cost. Never in shape. Won't matter. <laughs> they have too many slow guys, though. Like, I, I, I'm i a big Kessel guy. But you've got Brown. 
uh, who's a good skater but isn't scoring. You got Perry, who's not fast. Ryan, who's not fast. So I, I think you, I think Kessel is going to have to go elsewhere. I've always liked Phil Kessel, and I would love to see him win a Stanley Cup with Evan, and that would be a great story. Would you rather have Pareko and Broberg in the lineup or Cece and Kulak from Curtis? Well, Pareko is not coming here, so that doesn't, you know, that doesn't compute to me. It's not, it's not a, it's not a choice that is reasonable. The D-man the Flames got is leading the OHL in assists by 17. Decent piece, better than Broberg. I, I don't think Broberg was ever a part of the conversation and would have been a part of the conversation. They they were clearly looking for prospects and a pick, and they got it. I, Bo Akey would be the, and I mentioned him at the top of the show, he would be the comparable to Hunter. Um, did you want to take another shot at it? Sure, I'll give it, I'll give it a whirl again. Uh, I believe it is pronounced... Bruzewich. Bruzewich, okay. something along those lines. They could be very right or it could be exceptionally wrong. Well, I think we'll go with exceptionally wrong and then we don't have to apologize to anybody. Exactly. I, I, I thought that too. Did you, based on the reaction we've gotten from the text line, which we always invite people to text us anytime uh, at one, let me get the number here, one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Anything else you want to talk about that that you feel is askew in the world that you would like to pass along publicly? Uh, you know what? Uh, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'll uh, I'll say this about we talked about the the Ken Holland people that sure. that don't really love Ken Holland. I I always liked Ken Holland. I liked most of the moves that he made. It's it's difficult, I know. To give credit and be critical and and have a nuanced view because fans are fans, but I think if you if you give a nuanced view of the last five years, he's gotten them closer to the Stanley Cup, and a lot of the team that is good now came from Ken Holland's ideas and acquisitions. That's exactly, and there's the the texter who said about seventy percent good, thirty percent bad. I I I'd say seventy five twenty five, but I I think Ken Holland's been a really good GM for this team. He's made a lot of good moves. They were. Not very good when he showed up here, and then now they're, I mean, this is a totally different team. You look at them oh. from, oh, when, even when he showed up, like, you, you had Dominic Kubaliks, you had, or not Dominic, Dominic Cahoon, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then you had, you know, other depth guys like Riley Sheehan, like, these guys are long, long gone, like, way more quality players now. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it, I, I, st- I, I think sometimes as a fan base, Oilers, any fan base, they don't look past their own situation and understand that other GMs in other cities are also making mistakes. That's part of the deal. Not every bet is going to work out, uh, and we all know that. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, on the way. We are going to get an expert, a professional pronunciation from Mr. Batchelor about our new <laughs> Calgary Flame defenseman who we love but are afraid of his name. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the lowdown on Sports 1440. Brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. We are now joined by Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650. I, I I have to say, this trade, I was, I was trying to think of, 
you know, big trade, not Ron Settlebauer for Harold Filipov. I'm talking big <laughs> trades in, in Vancouver Canucks history. Uh, and I'm sure there are lots that are bigger that people could remember. But this was, I, I love it because it was out of the blue. I love it because all the, the insiders were scrambling uh, to get all the details and it took a while. Uh, and it's also, I think, a good trade for both teams. Fair? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it, Lindholm is kind of the perfect player for the Canucks to acquire because he's maybe the only player that will get moved prior to the trade deadline this year that fits all of their needs. Uh, he's a right-shot centerman, which they don't have. He can play the power play, which they kind of need a fifth guy on their top power play unit. Kuzmenko was playing there but wasn't having much success. They've used Pew Suter there lately, so he can do that. He can be a penalty kill guy too, so JT Miller won't have to play as many minutes shorthanded as he has to this point in the season and he can play the wing he can play the middle they can play him with Pedersen they can play him with Miller he can anchor his own line if that's the way they want to go and they want to load up Miller and and Pedersen and Besser on the same line so he gives them a lot of options and then from a Calgary perspective I think it's a good value for a player that's a a pure rental so um, you know uh, people in Vancouver to a certain extent have been saying oh maybe the price was a little bit too high but you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet and you have to give up good assets in the NHL if you want to bring in good players and difference makers and I think that's how I see this trade. So do you have a, 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 a square like top dead center pronunciation on the young defenseman's name who's headed to Calgary? Hunter Brustevich. Okay. Brustevich. Hunter Brustevich. Okay, I can do that. I, yeah. I almost killed myself on Victor Faust when he got here, so I'll, <laughs> I'll I will I will make sure you said it clearly. I can understand it. I know where it's going. It's all good. It's not like Wojohowicz. So and they did give up a player uh, and a pick. And you're right. That's a heavy payment. However, uh, the Canucks fans I talk to are are pumped for the deal, but also the possibility of getting him signed. Uh, I know that it's too early to put a percentage on it, but. Uh, and they also have to sign Pedersen here, but is that is that sort of something in the back of the mind of the Canucks management that that would maybe make sense for both player and team? Yeah, I, I think so. It's all going to depend on what that number comes in at, and that's an interesting conversation to have because I think coming into the year when there was conversation about okay, what would it take for the Flames? to extend Lindholm and keep him in the fold, people were kind of using the contract that Bo Horvat got with the New York Islanders as a comparable. Uh, But Lindholm's had a down year. He hasn't produced much offensively, and that would seem like an overpayment at this point. And, um, you know, based on certain things I've heard in the last day or so, it sounds like Lindholm and the Flames were still at least a million dollars a year apart. Uh, in terms of where they saw the valuation of a potential extension. So, you know, I'll be interested to see if they try to move on that quickly or not because the Canucks do have a lot of moving parts that they have to kind of juggle here to try and decide who's going to fit here long-term and who isn't. Elias Pettersson, as you allude to, is a restricted free agent and has basically said that he doesn't even want to consider talking contract until the summer. Uh, Philip Hironik, who has been a, a great ad for them on their top pairing with Quinn Hughes, is also a restricted free agent. They have a number of unrestricted free agents, guys further down their lineup that have become important pieces in their success this year, like Teddy Bluger, Dakota Joshua, just to name a couple of them. 
up front. Tyler Myers is a pending UFA on the back end. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of flexibility that they have. And that's another part of this trade that helps the Canucks in their, you know, future planning is Andre Kuzmenko had another year on his deal. So, you know, not only do you get out from under that salary cap space in the short term so that you can add Lindholm and it's essentially a straight swap on the books. And in fact, the Canucks actually gained, I think it was around $650,000 of cap space by making this trade, but they're also out from underneath Kuzmenko's five and a half million that they were scheduled to pay him next season. And then on top of all of these factors, there's the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, which gradually increases in terms of the cap hit that they're going to have to withstand year over year going forward. So all of this to say, like, I can't even really put a percentage on the likelihood of them re-signing Elias Lindholm because it depends on whether they're able to re-sign Elias Pettersson and what that number looks like and what Philip Hironik's number looks like. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think based on the price, though, you would imagine that it is their intent that if they gave up essentially five assets for this one guy that you don't want to see him walk in free agency come July. But that said, there's, there's so many factors that play into this that I wouldn't even want to make a prediction right now in terms of whether Lindholm remains in Vancouver long term. The one thing I will say, though, is I like the addition for all the reasons that I alluded to already about his fit in the lineup. I also like it because, to me, it is a contingency plan in the event that Elias Pettersson pulls a Matthew Kachuk and at the end of the season says, I don't plan to sign here long term. I want to go elsewhere. Um, so you're going to have to find a way to move me out of town. Then you can say, OK, well, well, it, it really hurts that we may have to trade Pedersen in this hypothetical scenario. Then we can extend Lindholm and it's at least a bit of a contingency plan and a stopgap to cover up for losing your top player. And not that I'm saying I expect that to happen, but the longer things go without Pedersen engaging in contract talk, with the Vancouver Canucks, the more speculation builds in Vancouver and the more things like this become legitimate conversations that people are having in the city. That's an interesting wrinkle. Sports 1440, Lowdown with Low Tide, Brendan Batchelor, our guest, play-by-play voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650. So all of the Oiler uh, blogs and uh, radio talk shows are, are now filled with Oiler fans saying, while they still haven't fixed the defense out there in Vancouver, are they done and uh, in Vancouver and are the Canucks maybe looking at Tweaking the defense, they've already made a move. Uh, are they, in your opinion, pretty much done, or is there another shoot to drop here? I tend to – look, it's Jim Rutherford, so anything could happen. But based on the assets they've given up in this trade for Lindholm, I think they're probably done in terms of making a big splash. But tweaking around the edges, absolutely they could do that. And I think you know that's a correct assessment that their greatest need now would be – defensive depth and extra bodies to have on the back end in case of injury. You know, as far as their overall blue line when they're healthy, I think they like the the look of it in, in terms of the personnel that they have because they've got Hughes and Hironic who have been one of the best, if not the best defensive pairing in the NHL this year, right up with, you know, some of the, the, the top defensive players on the Oilers, especially through this recent recent stretch and the way Evan Bouchard has played of late. Um, you know, then you've got Tyler Myers, who has kind of come into his own and has solidified his spot 
on the right side. You've got Ian Cole. You've got Carson Soucy, assuming he's able to get back healthy. He's out with a hand injury right now. And Nikita Zadorov, And then Noah Juleson, who has actually given this team some very good minutes. He's one of their top four defensemen in terms of shorthanded ice time this year. Blocks a ton of shots. Uh, has really elevated his game. Becomes your seventh defenseman. But you probably want at least one other guy so that you can withstand an injury or two down the stretch and into the postseason. So that's what I'm expecting at this point. And I know there were some rumblings about Chris Tanev. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to make that work just with their salary cap situation and the assets they'd have to give up to beat other teams out who would also be interested in a player like Tanev and what he can bring. Um, so, you know, I don't think they're done, but I think they're done in terms of major moves like this one where they go and get Lindholm. So I am, uh, um, I have the ability to admit when I'm wrong. It's one of my many great qualities. <laughs> and so I, and I will be honest with you. I, I raged for a long time, uh, even recently about, how I felt like Canucks ownership was way wrong not to listen to Trevor Linden, but they should have shut it down and rebuilt two, three, four years ago. And somebody like me who made that point pretty much has to admit now that the ownership, whatever vision they saw of this team, it appears that they were correct. I mean, this team has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think anybody can be uh, arguing against that. There's issues for sure. Just like the orders, they've got guys that have been bought out and they've got, you know, money spent everywhere. But the Vancouver Canucks are legit. I didn't think we'd see this so soon. And I know Alvin and Rutherford get credit for that. But I also give ownership some credit for believing in this team. Is that fair? It is. And I think more importantly, believing in their core group and then finding the right guys to come in and complement those players with uh, you know the with Rutherford and Alvine, who have given this team a chance to succeed, basically overnight. Like it's amazing to think back. You know the trade for Lindholm happened a year and a day after they moved Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders, and they were sellers this time last year at the All Star break. And at that point, they had a dreadful first part of the season. They'd fired Bruce Boudreaux. There'd been lots of controversy around that decision. Rick Tockett was just getting his feet wet as the head coach. And, you know, that sentiment was not just something that that you were talking about. It was very prevalent in Vancouver talking about, you know, can this core group have success? And, um, you know, should they, should they be blowing it up? Should they be looking to the future? Um, But Jim Rutherford, and you look at his track record, he's one of the most aggressive managers that we've seen in the NHL in the last few decades. And that is what this turnaround required, was a general manager in Patrick Alvine and a president of hockey operations in Jim Rutherford who were willing to be aggressive. And we just talked about the blue line. Perfect example. At the start of last season, only two of the defensemen that are on the Canucks' current roster are in their current top six as you would ideally construct them when they're healthy were on their roster that was Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers so in the past year essentially they've gone out they added Ian Cole and Carson Soucy in free agency this year they went and traded for Philip Hironik and then they went and traded for Nikita Zadorov earlier this season you know that's not something that you see teams do every day you know 
change over four of their top six defensemen in a calendar year. But that's exactly what the Canucks have done, and that's what's allowed them to have success. Is they're a better defensive team now. They're a bigger defensive team, with the exception of Hughes and Hironic. So they've got big physical guys that can fill passing lanes, can block shots, can kill penalties. And now, you know, we're seeing that when you put a good a defensive group in front of Thatcher Demko on top of the fact that Rick Tockett has this entire group playing with a level of structure that we had not seen from them maybe in a decade, that things can turn around quickly. But, you know, they wouldn't have turned around this quickly if not for how aggressive the management group has been. So absolutely you have to credit ownership for believing in this core group and then going out and finding the right people to come in and do the job to get this team turned around to where, you know, absolutely you're right. And this is something that I never would have thought I would be saying here on February 1st if you had asked me on October 1st, but the Canucks are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. It's true. Brendan Batchelor, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sports 650, gave us a great pronunciation guide, and I've been practicing it. Hunter Brustavich, give me all the money. Look at me go. Victor Faust almost killed me, but I've come back. By the way, how many followers are you up to now? We were at 80, I think. We're chilling at 85 right now. Okay. So we so still we, got a little ways to go. And we have like 25 minutes left. So say again what your Twitter handle is. Donovan Paulson. D-O-N-O-V-A-N-P-A-U-L-S-O-N. Just like it's spelled. Okay, we're going to take a break. On the way, we're going to talk a little bit about the Edmonton Oilers, what they might be able to do, and and how much this trade changes the race for first place. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Famous song, famous video, or Bruce Springsteen taught everybody, male, how to dance if you have no sense rhythm. One foot, one foot. Lovely. You know, the uh, one of the stars of Friends, Courtney Cox, was in the video. That was in, I believe, 1984. Uh, Donovan, you did, you did very well. You did something that young producers don't do often, and, and in a good way. And that was? Well, I w- during the break, I, I went to the washroom. Yep. And I was late getting back. I saw Jason Strudwick outside. And Struddy is always, he's just a big fan of mine. So I've got to stop and he talks away about whatever he's doing. So uh, I was late getting back here, but you didn't panic at all. You just put on a six minute record. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And we're, we're getting closer. We're at 85 last we saw. We'll check at the top of the hour in terms of people who follow Donovan Paulson. And it's just like it's spelled. Exactly. Is there any nope. capital letters in there? Well, there is a, a capital D and a capital P, but it doesn't okay. matter. You'll find me regardless. Right where you're supposed to, right? Exactly. Just keep it going. And uh, uh, now you said that if people follow you, you will DM them your PIN number and what bank you go to is what I had heard. Uh, yeah, I, I bank with TD <laughs> and uh, my PIN number no, is... No, uh, don't, don't. no, I'm not giving you a bank okay. PIN number. All right. <laughs> I was like, I was like I mean, after the after the Taylor Swift thing, I'm like, does he? He surely he's got some kind of filter. Um, okay, quit it. Vancouver will not make it out of the first round, says Pillman. Well, that's the history. You know the the two game sevens, ninety four, and then twenty eleven, and Vancouver 
and then 82, they had no chance. But they've been to the Stanley Cup final three times. And two of those times in 94 and 11, I thought they would win both times. New York won with the Edmonton Oilers East in 94. And then in 2011, my Boston Bruins won. And it was a close seven-game series. I remember when the puck went in, it was passed and it hit a skate. And then Bergeron, I think it was Bergeron, he ripped it. And Luongo never saw the puck. Just the, the most dastardly luck for Vancouver. One day they'll win it. I don't know if it's this year. Have you ever heard the version of Dancing in the Dark by Tegan and Sarah? It's awesome. No, I have not. I, I really like Springsteen's music, though. Thunder Road is the best thing he ever did. Love that song. I must admit, I never watched the Canucks, but my impression is that they're not very gritty. Am I wrong about that? Bobby Clobber. Oh, I think they're pretty gritty. Pretty gritty? They're quite gritty. Uh, I, they're not, they're not, they're not um, f- as face-punchable as they were during the Bertuzzi years, but they, they're a gritty team. They, they you know, talk, it's their coach. He likes that style uh, of play. N- not on every line, but certainly the depth lines have some, have some rugged players. When is the actual NHL All-Star draft? 6 p.m. Eastern? I don't have that information. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern seems early. They want it on in prime time, but maybe. I don't know. Last time, I guess they, in 2015, they had a, there was some, there was some imbibing going on. Glenn Campbell, now you're hugging it, dug it at my heartstrings. Great guitarist, too, from B. Yeah, he played on some Beach Boys songs. He was legit. And he also sang one of the greatest all-time songs, Wichita Lineman. That is a great song. Mark and St. Albert, when they first hired Ken Holland, I was not happy. I considered him to be a dinosaur, not in touch anymore with what is trending in the league. But overall, I think he's done a great job of building a legitimate cup contender. Nobody bats a 1,000 or a 100. He said a 100. I said a 1,000. I don't know what I'm doing. So, of course, he's made some mistakes. And then once again, that's from Mark and St. Albert. Draft starts at 4 p.m. our time, LT, from Displaced You, Connor. That's not Taylor Swift. We played Taylor Swift, did we not? Yeah, we played Cruel Summer. You asked, I asked for that, and you played it. Exactly, yeah. I did exactly what I was told to do. Well, you know, we're going to have to start putting out pamphlets. People forget, I guess. We definitely played at the top of the hour. Uh, I believe it was the top of the hour, yeah. yeah. I don't like Holland, but let's be clear. Oh, I don't like Holland. Let's let me just try again. This is from Sam from Vancouver. I don't like Holland. Let's be clear. Commas, people. It would be so helpful. But I firmly believe some of the best Holland moves are those he didn't make out of panic in the last three years. I would agree with that, including the Skinner thing, which people were all over Stuart Skinner. Uh, Oiler fans are never patient with goalies, going back to Grant Fuhrer. The only guy who got out of town without testing people was Andy Moog and he lives in infamy. There's a whole bunch of Andy Moog fans who still think that he got screwed over and they traded the wrong guy. Nail says you should be getting followers. So maybe he's got people following, you know, his calling his buddies. 
Don't know. We are, uh, I can confirm, we have moved up quite drastically in the last uh, about, what, four or five minutes? Yes. Uh, we're now at 99, so oh, I need one more. Doctor. Let's get together, people. Give me, give me one more. All right. You know what will happen, though? People will follow you, and then they'll... Three months from now, they'll forget who the hell is this. So you got to get way over. You got to get to 110 to stay at 100. So we need 110. I'm in and out of the car here in Red Deer. I smile every time the old man, that's me, drops a M-L-U-S-E. And more than Carter has liver pills references. Well, jo- well job, Boomer. Greg from Lacombe. Well, I've, some people of a certain age. There are all kinds of phrases that are no longer in existence. Like, I don't even know if Carter exists. They made liver pills. Uh, and and what's the other one? I don't remember now. Uh, oh, M-O-U-S-A. You just add that on the end of when people are spelling stuff. And either they think you're an idiot or they laugh. But either way, it's amusing. Ken Holland's keeping his powder dry. Yeah. Let's not forget the cap implications. The longer he waits, the more cap space accrued, the better he player he can afford from Scrub 64. You're straight on. I still think, like, if you look at, they're trying to negotiate with Gensel, as an example, in Pittsburgh. And if it gets to the deadline, Kyle Dubas has said it, they'll make a trade if they don't feel like they're close. The orders for me would be an ideal scenario. You trade them Broberg, which Dubas will value, and the first round pick you get, I don't even know if it'll take that, but I assume it will. I don't like that trade, but you know what? I'm not the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. And he is, and he's trying to win a Stanley. He's trying to go out like on top. You know, Ken Holland has won the Stanley Cup more than once. And I'm not saying, like, there are things I, I was baffled by the Keith trade. Not because, you know, Keith couldn't play because he could, and not because Caleb Jones was an all-timer, which he is not, but because there was like 3, 000, 3 million on that contract, and that usually means something like a first-round pick, and it didn't come. And so Holland had to make the value judgment that Keith was worth so much that they would just swallow that contract. And then it led to the Darnell Nurse deal. So I... I called it out in real time. I believe it was a mistake, but that doesn't mean that you send him to the to the to the dungeon for the rest of his life. He's made some good moves too. And every general was Sam Pollock, Sam Bleeding Pollock. In the intra-league draft in 1969, he left Tony Esposito exposed, and Tony Esposito went to the Chicago Blackhawks and had a Hall of Fame career. Not Every GM who spends more than 20 minutes in the job is going to make a mistake. Not the Gary Young mistake where he signed Dick Redmond to two different contracts. But every GM is going to make a mistake. And you have to know that going in as a fan, I think. Glenn Sather was a great general manager. But he wasn't a great general manager when he traded Miro Chatan for Barry... I didn't think I'd ever forget this, and I've forgotten it. Where the hell's McCurdy when you need him? Miro Chatan went to the... Miro Chatan went to the Buffalo Sabres. Barry Moore and Craig Miller. How did I not know that? That that happened 25 years ago, and this is the first time I've ever forgotten it. 
He would score 363 goals, and all but 35 of those were after the Evans Oilers traded him. Oh, man. Oh, man, that hurt. And that's when people say, well, minor league numbers don't mean anything. You look at Miro Shatan's minor league numbers. When he was in the minor leagues, he played 25 games for the Cape Breton Oilers, scored 24 goals and 40 points. You're telling me he was not screaming, I'm NHL ready? You're damn right he was. Donovan now has 108 followers. Well done. Correction, 109 now. Well, thanks, team. Yay. See, they came through for you. All you had to do was offend a church and Swifties, and it's all good. That They just want you to set yourself on fire every day, and you'll have several thousand. You know what? Being set on fire on, on, on radio, you know, it's, it's not so bad. It's no. funny. People are laughing at you. People are, uh, <laughs> you know, pointing the fingers saying this guy's an idiot. But, you know, it, it's fun. The, I'm going to tell you this, and I hope you remember it because it's good advice. Always remember that radio is the lowest rung on the entertainment ladder. Now, you can be offended by it because guys who play a ukulele in vaudeville are higher up the the machine than you are but you can also be complimented because it is part of the entertainment ladder you are here to entertain espn is called espn because entertainment sports are the two first letters entertainment e entertain you did well today young man proud of you thank you very much thank you very much al I bristle at Sam Pollock. Me too. But I, I also miss him a little bit. I admitted that today in my article at the Low, Low Tide blog because Sam Pollock did things that make sense. You know, I'm going to say this now and you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to be right. And long, long time from now, you'll say Low Tide was right. Once you will miss Ken Holland. There will be a time in the future when you see a free agent like Zach Hyman available and the GM doesn't get it done, or you see a defenseman like Matthias Ekholm available and the GM doesn't get it done, and you'll go, man, I'll tell you what, there were a lot of mistakes made, but he got them into the playoffs every year he was here, and they won a couple of rounds once, and maybe in 2024, maybe something really great is going to happen. It's, it's, like, it's like elections. You know, the first time you vote for somebody, you're like, well, that'll be the best thing ever. And then you realize as time goes by, that person is flawed. And then 25 years later, you're like, you know, that guy I voted for, he actually was better than this fellow here or this person here. That's what happens in life. As much as you've gotten mad at Ken Holland, there will be things you remember about this era of Edmonton Oilers hockey that you'll be very fond of. And I think the Zach Hyman trade and or Zach Hyman signing and the Matthias Ekholm trade will rank one up right up there with one, two, and also not trading Stuart Skinner. All right. So I believe we're done. I usually leave around now. Is that okay? That is uh, totally fine. I've got a sports update to, to rattle off here anyway. Okay. So are you, you gonna, know what? Are you going to mention the name of the defenseman? Uh, I will mention the name of the defenseman. Hopefully I'll, I'll get it right. But uh, you never know. You never know on these things. If, you, if anybody complains, you, you say to them, Low Tide almost sprained his tongue trying to say Victor Faust. <laughs> and I'm still not great at it, but I have recovered fully. And uh, I have a doctor's note to prove it. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Lowdown today. Our friend Jason Greger is on the way next. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll have Steve Lansky and we'll have Tyler Uramchuk. Time now for a sports update.